0: As we continue to worship this morning, we'll be in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11. Uh, as we've been going through a series we're calling the Old School Gospel, seeing how the Old Testament, uh, particularly in, in the book of Deuteronomy, points us to Jesus. So as we continue to worship now through the uh, reading of God's scriptures um, and through the preaching. Um, Let me pray that God would uh, stir us up with this word this morning. Father God, you are amazing. You are great. You are holy. You are mighty. God, we thank you that you are our one and only true God, our one and true Savior. God, our healer, uh, our King. Lord, I pray that this morning you would speak by your spirit through your word this morning, that you would open our minds to understand your scriptures, that you would open our hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus, Lord, that you would shape us and change us, that you would give us hope, give us peace, bring us to repentance and belief, um, God, that you would have us turn from idols and sin, God, that you would heal us from our brokenness, that you would shape us as men and women of the gospel, uh, being saved uh, by your son, Jesus. God, we give you this time and pray that you would use it for your glory, our joy, and that the good news of Christ would advance to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Uh, As I've mentioned before, when we're Going through such a big uh, book like Deuteronomy, we're taking large chunks. We can't camp out on every single verse, every single word, um, like I wish we could, uh, because we would spend, <clears throat> excuse me, our life, our entire lifetime doing that. Our hope and prayer during this series is to give you an overview of how Deuteronomy points us to Jesus and, and hopefully it is a launch pad for you to go into deeper, uh, study uh, on your own. Um, That God would use that uh, for you today. Um, What I want us to do today is, is we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 11, we're going to look at uh, verses and sections. But let me start by reading these two verses uh, as we dive in. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says this, "...you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always." And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord, your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. This is God's word for us. And these two verses set up the rest of chapter 11. I think of what God is is teaching his people, Israel, and teaching you and I today, because even in our goodness Even on our best day, we fall short of God's standard. Even in our best efforts, we are still, at our core, broken, rebellious people. But God is still good. God is always making good on his promises. God, in his goodness and greatness, disciplines his people for his glory and our good. And I was looking at these verses this week thinking, I mean, chapter 11 begins with this very solid statement that is echoed numerous times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules and his commandments always. It's a pretty clear command. It was a pretty clear instruction of the Lord. And I was thinking this week because we've seen this is the. Story of redemption in the Bible is that God does everything out of grace for his glory and the good of his people. Right. We we saw this last week. We've seen it uh, the previous weeks that God set his people free from bondage in Egypt, not because they were doing good things, but but because he was just being gracious to his children, they were redeemed, they were freed by grace. And then later he gave them commands to follow. Right. You know, God didn't give them the Ten Commandments in Egypt. And said, if you can keep these Ten Commandments, then I'll free you. Rather, he said, I'm going to free you because I'm your God, you're my people, I love you. Now that I've freed you, I want you to live a certain way. And, and I was thinking, so God redeems his people, frees them out of his grace. We saw last week that after a season of rebellion, God renewed a covenant with them out of his grace. And then says, now obey. And that's the common theme of the gospel is, hey, you are saved, you are loved, you are accepted, I have rescued you, therefore, live this way, therefore, obey my commandments. And I was thinking, did you, have you ever wondered why, I mean, if we're saved by grace, if God rescues his people by grace and renews his people by grace, why does he ask us to obey? Like, what's the point of obeying, Right? I mean, like if, if God's going to forgive us and God's going to save us by his grace, what's the point of obedience? Do you ever think about that? I mean, some people don't. They say, well, you know, I'm saved by grace so I can do whatever I want. And I was really wrestling with this this week because I think we 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 make it far too easy of a category. I mean, basically we will look at it and say, okay, we can either... Look at the command that says, You shall love the Lord your God, keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, his commandments, always. We can look at that verse in three ways. One, we can rebel and say, No. No, I'm not going to keep your commandments. No, I'm not going to serve you. No, I'm not going to follow your rules, your statutes. I'm not going to keep your charge, ever. That's rebellion. Second way to look at it is in hopelessness. We can look at it and say, I, tr- I try in my strength, I try to do right, I try to keep your statutes, I try to keep your charge, I try to keep your rules, I try to keep your commandments, always, but I can't and I fail constantly and we can find ourselves in utter hopelessness and despair because as hard as we try, as good as we do, as polished as we are, we still, we still fail because we are to keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, his commandments, always, always. And the second you don't do it once, you've not done it always. And that can drive us to hopelessness and despair. A third way that we can look at it is not only rebellion or hopelessness. A third way that is very, very, very common is pride. And it's very nice, polished pride because we can say, well, I'm keeping God's charge, his statutes his rules i'm keeping his commandments i'm keeping them look how well i am keeping them i'm keeping them better than others our church is keeping it better than other churches our our Community is keeping it better than other communities. We can articulate it and express it. Our tradition looks this way and it's better than that tradition. Our theological framework looks this way. It's better than that theological framework. Our theological vocabulary is four syllables, not two, so it's better than that one. Pride. And I've been wrestling with this this week, seeing the command as clear as crystal to. God's people, you shall therefore love the Lord your God. I mean, even if you keep his statutes, rules, and commandments, if you're not loving God, you're missing the commandment of this verse. And we can either find ourselves rebelling against loving God and keeping his charge. We can find ourselves saying, I can't love him. I can't keep his charge. It's hopeless. Or we can think in pride that we're doing something awesome for the Lord. Which of those three categories do you find yourself in most commonly? I find myself in each of those three categories daily. (laughs) I'm a conflicted human being, but you know what? It's very ripe soil for the gospel. So I hope you're as conflicted as I am, because if you are, there is good news for those who are rebellious. There is good news for those who are hopeless. There is good news for those who are prideful. We're getting there today. You want to go there? That's where we're going. (coughs) Buckle up. This is what I think the Lord did in my feeble little mind this week when I was taking a little walk, wrestling with rebellion and hopelessness and pride. And I read verse 1 and was thinking, you shall therefore love the Lord your God, keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, his commandments always. What comes after verse 1? Verse 2. And consider today, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God. Here's the phrase that did it for me His greatness, His mighty hand, His outstretched arm. You see the connection there? Consider the discipline of the Lord your God, His greatness, His mighty hand. His outstretched arm. If we look at verse 1, wanting to, we want to love God. We want to obey Him. If we look at us and our love and our obedience, we're missing verse 2 that says, consider His greatness, His mighty hand, His outstretched arm. Have you ever considered who God is and what He does in the world? What He's done through redemptive history, what He's done through the Scriptures, what He's done for His people Israel in Deuteronomy? Because we can talk all day about loving God and keeping his commandments, but if we've not considered his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, we've missed it. All we are are being just prideful, thinking about loving and keeping commandments. So friends, I am hoping that God is doing something in your heart and your mind the way he's doing something in my heart and my mind as we wrestle through this, because I don't want us to be a people of pride I don't want us to be a people of hopelessness. I don't want us to be a people of rebellion. It's okay to be there now, but what we're going to see is if we consider the discipline of the Lord, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, something amazing is in store for you and me. Let's see what that is, shall we? Because even in our hopelessness and rebellion and pride, God is disciplining his people. In other word discipline is from where we get the word disciple. It doesn't always mean punishment, although there sometimes are punitive elements to discipline. Um, a discipline means to, to be shaped or formed. It means to take on the characteristics of the one who is disciplining you, the one of whom you are a disciple. God is disciplining his people Israel in Deuteronomy. He had set them free from bondage. They rebelled. They wandered in the wilderness for decades. God still loved them. God was still their God. He was still their people. They were still his people. God renewed his covenant relationship with them, continued to provide for them and protect them and and make good on his promises to them. Even though they rebelled, even though they act in pride, even though they act in hopelessness. And then Moses writes down these words, hey, keep These commandments, statutes, and rules love God. Consider the discipline of the Lord on you. His greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. So what I want us to see today is how discipline, this chapter tells us, I think, four elements of God's discipline to his people, Israel in Deuteronomy 11. And I think there's implications for you and I today as Christians in Christ. Okay, the first thing I want us to see, okay... Let me just say, I'll just, I'll tell you everything right now. Discipline in chapter 11 tells us that discipline, the discipline of the Lord reveals God's greatness. The discipline of the Lord prepares his people for his promises. The discipline of the Lord shapes the hearts of his people. And the discipline of the Lord gives a legacy to pass on to generations for God's glory, our good. And that the good news of Jesus would advance. That's your four points. I did four because I went to a preaching conference Friday and they were talking about three points. I said, oh, I'm going to go the extra mile. We're doing four points. That's not rebellion. That's not pride. That's not hopelessness. This is the gospel. First thing I want to see is this, is that the discipline of the Lord reveals God's greatness to his people. You see verse 2 says that consider the discipline of the Lord your God his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. Let's keep going. Verse 3, his signs, his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, to their chariots how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you how the Lord has destroyed them this day, how he did and what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place what he did to Dathan and Abraham the sons of Eliab son of Reuben how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up their households their tents everything that followed them in the midst of Israel for your eyes have seen all the great work that the Lord that he did you shall therefore keep the commandment that I'm commanding you today isn't that awesome (laughs) I mean Moses is writing down the words of the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing his good stuff down, saying, look, Hey, the dis- consider the discipline of the Lord. It reveals God's greatness. I mean, God did amazing things to free you from Egypt, from bondage. He did amazing things, showing his greatness to Egypt. They're not even my people. And I'm going to show my greatness. That's what God did. He like, he does this amazing thing. Plagues, you know, the sea washing over. I mean, it just had to be an amazing thing to witness. He takes care of his rebellious people in the wilderness. He opens up the earth and swallows those rebelling against him. That's amazing. The discipline of the Lord shows God's greatness. And did you ever think if you were a disciple of Jesus, if if you're following the Lord, if you're wanting to love the Lord and serve the Lord and obey the Lord and in Christ, you belong to the Lord. You are God's child. Did you ever think that the same God that created everything created you? Do you ever think that the the mighty hand of God that did those amazing things in Egypt like plagues and parting the sea, that same hand is the hand that is renewing you and shaping you? I mean, did you think that the hand that crushes the enemies of God and, and judges wickedness is the same hand that gently caresses your broken heart, brings healing to you? Did you ever think that the same hand that does mighty acts is the hand that's nailed to the cross, that's the hand that's extended to you, that the hand of God is upon you in Christ? And see, this whole story of the Bible is a story about God. God is the hero here. God is the one showing off his greatness. And when God disciplines his people, that's what he's doing. I mean, at the, the central part of the discipline of the Lord is not really first about you and first about what you must do and first about how you must love and first anything. It's first God. God's discipline of His people is first and foremost to show off how great He is, how wonderful He is, how holy, how loving, how patient, how kind, how right He is. And that's an amazing reality for you and I today. So first, we see that the discipline of the Lord reveals God's greatness. How is God revealing his greatness to you in your life? In hard times and in good. As a disciple of the Lord who's wrestling with theological issues, who's wrestling with practical relationships, who's trying to figure out how to obey and you fail at your obedience or maybe you want to rebel or maybe you're finding yourself in a hopeless state and God has not let go of you, he is disciplining you and in that he's showing off his greatness. Are you paying attention? are you watching watching? that's why friends i say even in your doubts and disbeliefs and fears i encourage you to read scripture and see how great god has been throughout history to connect with other believers and to hear how god is at work in the lives of other people and through the lives of other people even if you feel like you're at a dry point god is not turning his back on you there's discipline in there somewhere let's look and see how it is revealing god's Greatness. Secondly, we see the discipline of the Lord prepares us for his promises. You see, God had promised to bless his people generations before Israel. He had made a covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. A couple generations later through Moses to God's people, Israel, God is making good on those promises to make them as numerous as the stars, to give them a land where they can thrive as his people, where he will be their God. They will thrive in joy that they will find much joy, worshiping him, the one true God worshiping together as a people that they would be able to thrive. That was a promise God made. And God didn't snap his fingers and say, I'm going to take you from Egypt. And here's the promised land. There was decades of a process, a process filled with rebellion and hopelessness and pride that God was chiseling out of his people. He uses discipline to shape his people. He is preparing his people for the promises that he is making good on. Look at verse eight through 15. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong that you can go in and take possession of the land that you were going over to possess, that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you were entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. He will give the rain for your land in its its season, and the early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields and and for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. I want to go there. See, God is saying, I'm making good on my promise. I mean, I'm disciplining you to show off my greatness. I'm disciplining you to prepare you for the promise that I have for you. God is preparing Israel for the promise. He's saying, look, I mean, that's why he says you have to keep my command. This will make you strong. You're not strong yet, but keeping my command will make you strong. You were going over to possess a land, a land that I'm giving you, a land that I'm taking care of, a land that I love. It says numerous times in this chapter to take possession of the land to possess it, that the Lord is taking care of it. Verse 13, Obey my commandments that I command you today. Love the Lord your God. Serve Him with all your heart and soul. Comma. He will give rain for the land. You see, God is revealing Himself through the discipline of His people, but He is also preparing, the discipline of the Lord is preparing His people for the promise. So, the promise of the land to Israel was a, the promise of the land was for Israel. But you and I have promises from God in Christ. Lots of them. Do you know that? There's lots of promises God makes for his people in Jesus. I mean, for starters, um, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It's a promise. Did you know that? Nothing. Your rebellion, your hopelessness, your pride will not separate you. It's part of God's discipline to reveal his greatness and to prepare you for the promise that you have eternity with the Lord, your God, because of Jesus. That's exciting, right? I mean, this Old Testament story really happens but it's also a foreshadowing of something even bigger than Israel. It's for all of God's people in Christ. It's for a foreshadowing of an eternal kingdom in Christ coming down. Jesus also throws out a bunch of other promises, and so does Paul and everybody else in the New Testament. Listen to this. Matthew seven eleven says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's Jesus talking about God the Father. It's a, it's a promise. Your father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. Matthew 7, 7, just before that, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. That's just not some catchy teaching of hippie Jesus on the mountain. That's the word of God through the mouth of God, through the pen of Matthew and scripture for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that the whole Trinity was at work in that statement. So, you know, that's a promise. Ask, God, God gives but when you ask, seek, you will find. It knock, it will be open. Paul says this in Philippians 4:19. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. You know, that? God will supply everything you need. Everything it may not look like what you think, but He will supply. He will supply your every need, both physically and tangibly here and now and for all of eternity. Both every need of like, oh, we need money, we need food, we need health care, we need these things. God will do that. God will provide wisdom for you and patience for you. God will also uh, provide forgiveness of sin, eternal security to be with him forever. He will provide for you the need to love God more and to obey God more in a non rebellious, hopeless or prideful way. Do you have that need? I do. Well, the apostle Paul says, God will supply every need of yours. Well, God, I need you to help me love you rightly and obey you rightly, not pridefully and not hopelessly. Okay. God promises. He will supply that in Christ Jesus. That's a win. Romans 6:23. We could read the whole New Testament right now, but we're not. We're only a couple of verses. You should read the whole New Testament and see how God is making good on his promises. Romans 6:23, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." Boom, that's awesome. John 14.2, in my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus told his disciples, that's true for you and I today in Christ. That's a promise. So is God had prepared the promised land for Israel, he disciplined Israel to prepare them for the land of promise. As Jesus goes to prepare a place for his people for all eternity, he is preparing his people for that place. That's what discipline is. So here and now, hardship, good times, triumphs, failures. Wrestling through rebellion, hopelessness, and pride. God is disciplining his people to show his greatness and also to prepare his people for his promises. You with me? Number three, the discipline of the Lord shapes our hearts. This goes in line. I could have made this just a three point sermon, but we had to make it four. Shaping our hearts goes in line with. Preparing for promises, but goes a little deeper. Here's what I mean. Verse 16 says this, Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He will shut up the heavens that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. a scary statement? If you disobey, you rebel. The Lord is giving you this land, but you will perish in that land. Verse 18, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Chapter 11 here is kind of echoing the teaching in Deuteronomy 6. If you want to go back there and, and look. But see, God, the discipline of the Lord shapes the hearts of his people. You see, God's greatness is revealed. He is preparing his people for his promises, but that involves a new heart. We've said this before, and Deuteronomy teaches earlier on here that obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to conflict. That by no means disobedience discounts the identity of God's people, but rather leads to conflict. When it says here, He says, take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. The anger will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens. There will be no rain. You will perish quickly on the land that the Lord has given you. See, it's very scary to see that disobedience brings conflict, that if we entertain the rebellious hearts that we are so prone to have, conflict arises, severed relationship with God and his people Arises, we have severed relationship with each other, right down to the point that the promises of God and the land will not be grasped by his people. God is still making good on his promises. He's like, hey, the land is yours, I'm giving it to you, you are my people. I am promising to you that before you is this land that has all kind of food and wine and everything's gonna be great for you. That's a promise. The people's disobedience by no means discounts the promise of God when God says if you disobey, you will die in that land and you will not have access to the rain and to everything that I've promised you. God is not backing away on his promise. His promise is good. He's just saying if you want to access that promise, you need to obey. And that involves having a heart. That's why verse 16 says, take care lest your heart be deceived. Verse 18, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart. You see, the discipline of the Lord is not only preparing the people for the promise of God. He is shaping the hearts of individuals. The discipline of the Lord is shaping your heart. Your heart is key here. That's why God does not just say, do this. Don't do that. You're my people. It's why scripture says, first, you shall love the Lord. And obey, right? Loving the Lord with your heart and soul and minds comes before you can obey his charge, his statutes, his rules, his commandments always. The heart is key here. And God is disciplining his people to shape their hearts so that they will obey and have access to the blessings that God is making good through his promises. Disobedience brings conflict, but obedience brings blessing of the Lord. God is still great God is still good. God is still making good on his promises despite his stiff neck, rebellious people. We have this great book at our house. And if you you want a good book for your kids, it's really cute. I think Um, it's by a pastor and author, Max Lucado. And it's about Hermie the worm. Have you seen this? It's a really cute book. It's very colorful. and It's cute. And, you know, it's great for kids. And it gets you in some really good conversations with your kids That's What the point of the book is it's not inspired scriptures to, it's a kids book, but it has a really good message to it. And I was reading this a few days back to one of my kids The point of the book is about Hermie. It's really a caterpillar. He has a friend named Wormy. They pray to God. And um, the whole story is. He's not like other animals. He doesn't have spots. He doesn't have stripes. He doesn't have a cool, you know, decoration like the ladybug. He's not strong like the ant. He doesn't have a cool house like the snail. And all along the theme of the book is, is this. He's praying to God saying, God, I'm not like the ladybug. God, I'm not like the ant. God, I'm not like the snail. God says, look, I don't want you to be. I want you to be Hermie. And I am doing something in you. I'm giving you a heart like mine the resounding theme of the book. God's saying, I'm giving you a heart like mine. Time and time again. You want me to tell you the end? I bet you can guess. Hermie wraps himself up in a cocoon. Boom. Butterfly. He's flying. Right? You get where we're going. Just read the book. It's fascinating. Actually, I think they made a cartoon about it too. (coughs) But it's a sweet book telling a truth of the gospel of discipline from God to his people. And that's the point here is God is not doing behavior modification for his people. Like if you do good, you get a reward. If you do bad, I smite you. Although that's in there. The point is that God is shaping the hearts of his people. That's why scripture says time and time again, love the Lord your God. Take care of your heart. Serve him with all your heart. Take care of your heart so that it's not deceived. Verse 18, lay up these words of mine in your heart. The discipline of the Lord is God shaping the hearts of his people. And you can do awesome statutes and commandments and things of the Lord with a hardened heart and miss the gospel. And I see it all the time because it can look really impressive. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, I keep the charge of the Lord. I keep the statutes. I keep his rules. I keep his commandments. Man, if your heart is as hard as stone, you're missing the gospel. I would rather somebody come in here and say, it's hopeless. I suck. I can't keep anything. I break every commandment as hard as I try. My heart is messed up. That's why I love emo kids in the gospel, man. You guys get it like that. It's like, oh, despair, the gospel. woo <laughs> And I want us all to be at that point. I want us all to lay ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I am rebellious. Change my heart to not be rebellious. God, I'm hopeless. Change my heart to have hope. God, I am prideful. Humble me. Give me a heart like yours. That should be our biggest prayer individually and collectively as a church. I don't want you to be more moral. I don't want you to be more intellectual. I don't want you to outserve every ministry in town. Those are good things. And if those things happen out of hardened hearts, it can do more damage than good for you and for the city and for the gospel. I want those good things to flow out of hearts that have been radically wrecked by the good news of Jesus. I want us to be a community of faith where hardened hearts are softened, where prideful hearts are humble, where hopeless souls have hope, where broken spirits are healed. I think that's what God has for His people. The discipline of the Lord is God shaping the hearts of his people. It's a promise, not in some book to Hermie the caterpillars, the promise of scripture through Christ to you and I today, that God is shaping us to give us a heart like his. I mean, that's why when Jesus says to pray for your enemies, he's to you know, bless those who curse you and to, I mean, all those great things we like to go to in scripture of like, well, Jesus served the poor. Jesus did all these amazing things, but you know, he wants us to do those things as an outflow of a heart that reflects the heart of God. <laughs> Not to do those things so that we can just do them and be all well. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So how is the discipline of the Lord shaping your heart? And what's the, what's the status of your heart? Be honest with God. Be honest with believers in your life. And don't hide it. Please don't hide it. Don't lie. Don't try to conceal your messed up heart by doing these great religious, moral, and humanitarian things. Those are good things. Please do them out of a heart that's fueled by the gospel. Please. Don't use good, righteous deeds to cover a messed up heart. Man, let's just be real. I want believers in this room to connect, men. I want you to connect with other men and confess struggles of porn and lust and anger and doubt and fear and cowardice and everything else and bring the gospel to bear on each other's hearts. Women, I want you to do the same thing, whatever struggles you may have. Married people, let's do that together. Single people, let's do that together. Men, women, boys, girls. Let's just do it, man. And Let's not judge each other. Let's just lay bare and say, you want to see how dirty and gross I am? I try to do that every week up here, not to distract anybody from the gospel, but to give a testimony to God's greatness and goodness. So I'm okay being embarrassed and just saying, man, I struggle with this. I'm a fool. I'm a wreck. I'm a disaster. Wah. God's good. God's great. God's shaping my heart. He's shaping yours too. I know he is because scripture says he is. Fourth and finally so the discipline of the lord shows reveals god's greatness prepares people for his promises shapes our hearts and fourth and finally the discipline of the lord connects us to a legacy we all want to be a part of a legacy right we all want to like pass along our good name or or have our business succeed or have our whatever message outlive us that's everybody's desire in one form or fashion but listen to this verse 19 you shall teach them to your children talking to them when you're sitting in your house when you're walking by the way when you lie down when you rise when you write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you shall dispossess the nations greater and mightier than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon from the river the river Euphrates, to the Western Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of of you and dread on you of all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. Man, that's so good. God's just saying, look, man, this is going to go on not only for you, but down to your children and by implication to your children's children and your children's 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 children. God was making good on his promises not just to these people in the immediate hearing, but generations after them. For generations and generations and generations. And I love that. You and I are connected to a legacy of God's redemptive story all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, through the centuries to you and I today. This gospel is good for you and I today. It's good for our children, our children's children, our children's children's children. And if you're like, dude, I don't have kids, that's fine. I'll bust out some great commission on you. This is what Jesus says. Verse 16 of Matthew 28, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain that Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Don't you love that? Jesus' disciples still doubted. Really? Come on. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples. That word disciple comes from the word discipline, the discipline of the Lord. Make disciples. That means connect people to God's greatness. Show people God's greatness. Show people how God is shaping their hearts to prepare them for his promises and connecting to a legacy. I love the word disciple. I love the word discipline because it has nothing to do with me trying to make you more like me. Are you me trying to make you more like a good whatever. It has everything to do with me saying, hey, look how good God is. The discipline of the Lord shows off God's greatness prepares you for his promises for you and me and for all his people. It shapes your heart and connects us to a really big legacy. I'm just a part of it. So are you. Right? That's what discipline is. That's what being a disciple is all about. We can put whatever label you want on it. But at the end of the day, it's all about God's greatness preparing us for his promises shaping our hearts and connecting us to a legacy. One final point. Look at the very last verse. So, so that's what discipline's about. And we, we opened with the first verse was like, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments. And then 30 verses of laying out why. Because Discipline shows God's greatness, prepares us for his promises, shapes our hearts, gives us a legacy. Look at the very last verse and a half of the chapter, starting verse 31. Go over to the possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and rules that I'm setting before you today. What? If we want to obey what God has for us, it involves all of that discipline. That's why this whole chapter is bookend with obedience. It opens with obey, and our first reaction should be, I can't, or no, or I am. And then after we weave ourselves through 30 verses of, look how great God is. Look how he's preparing you for his promises to you. Look how he's shaping your heart, and you are connected to a legacy that you will pass on. That should humble us to say, oh, oh, because of God's goodness, Trusting in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'll be careful to do the statutes and rules. Right? I imagine that Israel, when they heard this, I imagine that their demeanor shifted from verse 1 when they got to verse 32. I just imagine that because just reading it. So, I want to ask you, what what is God doing? In your heart, is he? Do you find yourself in verse 1 still? With hopelessness, rebellion, and pride? I want us to get to verse 32, that we would be careful to obey the Lord, but that's resting on his greatness and his work to shape us like his people, to prepare us for his promises, connect us to the legacy of the gospel. What that means is he's making us more like his son Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I hope that you hear more than anything that we take very seriously being disciples who make disciples. We want to be disciplined disciples of the Lord. That does not mean we give you a handbook to check off certain things you do or know or don't do. We don't take a test, but rather we want to connect you to the greatness of God through Jesus It's the only way to get connected to the greatness of the God and to be shaped as his people. So if you're not a Christian, we want more than anything for you to know Jesus. If you are a Christian, it is my hope and prayer that God is shaping us out of our rebellion, out of our hopelessness, and out of our pride, giving us a heart like his, shaping us to be more like Jesus, that we see that our... God is showing his greatness ultimately through Jesus Christ, that he prepares us for his promises made to us through Jesus Christ, that he's given us a heart like his, is revealed in Jesus Christ, that we're connected to a legacy of the gospel as Jesus commanded us to make disciples. And so I want us to repent of sin and idols and brokenness and lean on Jesus, trust in Jesus and his goodness. Uh, One way we do that um, here is, um, we'll have a time of response where the musicians will come back and lead us through music. If you want to respond by worshiping through singing or through prayer or sitting where you are reflecting on what you've heard, if you need to talk to somebody, grab somebody and we will talk, talk about the gospel implications in your life. And you can bring whatever dirt and garbage is going on in your heart. And we just want to show you God's goodness. That's what we want to do. Don't clean yourself up. Don't try to cover up anything. Just come say, you want to hear this? I mean, you will be surprised of what has been thrown out there. It's and God just does some awesome stuff. So don't, don't be afraid to do it, man. God is gracious and merciful. We want to show you that grace and mercy. No judgment here, just grace and mercy, right? Other ways that we respond is the worship uh, musicians uh, lead us, this is singing, prayer meditating on scripture we'll have the lord's supper up up here before us there's bread that represents the body of christ there's wine and juice that represents the blood of christ you can tear off the bread and dip it in the wine or juice if you're a believer we invite you to do this it's a way for us to celebrate who jesus is and what he's done for us it's a way for us to proclaim this good news to one another if you're not a believer we ask that you just observe it just witness it and and that the lord would use this to um to teach you about his goodness paul writes in first corinthians 11 23 for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and the same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed a good and holy God. Jesus, that you have saved us, that you have rescued us, that you have freed us and renewed us. And God, I thank you that you are bringing your grace to bear in our lives and our hearts, shaping us to be more like you preparing us for the promises you have for us in Christ, both for now and for all eternity. And God, I pray that as your people, we would see your greatness at work in us and through us. And we ask now that you stir up our hearts and mind toward you for your glory, for our good, and that the gospel of Jesus would advance to the nations. We ask in his holy name. Amen.